the reading today is Praise Song for Meditation by Hakuin Ekaku, an 18th century Zen master. All beings are Buddha by nature, just as water and ice are the same. Without water, there's no ice. Outside of beating beings, no Buddha. People miss what's in front of them and go searching far from home. It's sad, like someone standing in water and crying out for thirst, or a child from a rich family struggling among the poor. We cycle through heavens and hells because we keep setting out on the dark roads of ignorance, dark road after dark road. When will we be free from birth and death? Meditation can't be praised enough. The good effects of generosity and discipline, prayer, self-reflection, and practice have their source in meditation. With what you gain from just one sitting, all your crimes are wiped away. Then where are those heavens and hells? The pure land comes near. If this way moves you the first time you hear it, and you simply follow it, endless blessings come to you. Even more. If you turn the light inward and witness your own nature, your nature, which is empty nature, you go beyond any doctrine. The gate opens. Cause and effect are one. There's no two, no three. The formless form comes into form. Going or returning, we are in the right place. Thinking thoughts without thought. Singing and dancing are the voice of the way. The vast emptiness of deep meditation, the brightness of the bright moon of wisdom, is anything missing from this moment. Nirvana appears before us. This very place is paradise. This very body, the Buddha. It is written, when heaven and earth first appeared, the names of the spirits who came about in these high plains of heaven are these. First was the spirit called master mighty center of heaven. Next was the spirit lofty growth. Next the spirit sacred growth. Then many spirits appeared when the young land was floating like tallow on the water, drifting like a jellyfish. And something like a reed sprouted forth. Their names were fine budding reed. Ever standing heaven, ever standing land. Abundant clouds more. Little floating mud and his sister spirit, little silted mud. Great entry elder and his sister spirit, great entry mistress. He who beckoned and his sister spirit, she who beckoned. Now all the spirits, the story continues, of heaven commanded the mighty one, he who beckoned also named Izanagi, and the mighty one, she who beckoned, Izanami, with mighty words, and they proclaimed, make firm this drifting land and fashion it in its final form. And so proclaiming, they gave them a jeweled halberd of heaven to aid in this undertaking. So the two spirits stood on the floating bridge of heaven, and when they lowered the jeweled spear to stir the sea below, its brine sloshed and swished about as they churned it. When they pulled it up, clumps of salt dripped down from its tip to pile up into an island. 
This land became called the Self-Shaped Island. Descending to this island from heaven, they found a mighty pillar of heaven and a spacious hall. This story could continue for another 185, 200 pages or so. It comes from a book called the Kojiki, which is a Japanese book that is held in high regard in the Shinto religion. What you just heard was part of their creation story of the world and of Japan. What follows in the story is that he who beckoned and she who beckoned have children together, the children being the islands of Japan. It's a beautiful story. It reminds me of other creation myths, but it also has a distinctness to it that is not familiar to American ears. Shinto is one of those religious traditions we don't hear much about. In the last decade, we've begun to see Shinto texts such as the Kojiki translated into English and widely distributed. And it's hard to talk about Japan without mentioning Shinto. Japanese culture is steeped in it. Even the practice of wrapping a gift with absolute precision, every fold of paper, just so, has its roots in Shinto. But today really isn't about Shinto, though again, it must be acknowledged. And though we want to talk, or I want to talk about Buddhism a little, it's not really about Buddhism either. It's not about Zen or Tibetan Buddhism or Pure Land Buddhism or how to sit in meditation or was Hakuin Akaku right in his praise song? This isn't about Pima Chodron or the Dalai Lama. It isn't about Hakuin or Santoka Taneda. Though I think everything has to do with the creation of the world we want to live in. And that's why we began with this creation story. That's why we're lifting up these moments that should empower us. The words of Hakuin aren't just about sitting on a cushion somewhere. It's about being our authentic selves. And so I want to turn my attention to what is the world we want to create, the world we want to live in. But I digress. Religion in Japan is a topic that isn't explored much. And I find myself reflecting specifically on a sect of Buddhism today with over 6 million members called Risho Kosakai. It's a sect of Nichiren Buddhism, and you don't have to take notes on this. Just remember Risho Kosakai or RKK. As a religious movement, they focus their spiritual lives on devotion to what they call the eternal Buddha, which isn't really a being, it's more of a way of being. And their primary scripture is the Lotus Sutra, which is concerned with what exactly is the unsurpassed way of living the Dharma. There's a story the founder of Risho Kosakai, uh, Nikkyo Niwano, loved to tell to sum up what exactly their teachings were, what their sect believed. And as these stories often go, a wise master was sitting in a tree. I don't know why he was sitting in a tree, but he was sitting in a tree. And a student approached, and the student asked the master to reveal the secret of living a good life. The master responded from the top of this tree, Commit no evils, do all that is good. Fill your mind with your compassion and your heart with understanding. For this is the teaching of all the prophets and sages. The student protested to the master still in the tree, and he went, but this is a teaching for a child of three years old. The master laughed and responded, why, yes, 
A child could understand these teachings, but even a lifetime of 80 years may not be enough to put them into practice. I love that story. Well, that happened. That hasn't happened in over a year and a half, and that's fine. We've all been very lucky, and we will, we will traverse this. <laughs> all right. I believe I left off with telling you why we were lifting up Japan and Shinto and Rishoko Sakai, a sect of Nichiren Buddhism that has ties to Chan and Zen and Shinto and the nation of Japan. And the reason why is because that is a, our closest interfaith partnership as Unitarian Universalists to this day. Though we have said that we are an interfaith minded organization, the closest bonds we have are with this sect of Nichiren Buddhism in Japan. And it's about 60 years old today, that partnership. Now, if you ever find yourself visiting Sleepy Hollow Cemetery in Concord, Massachusetts, you might get lucky as you wind your way up and around to Authors Ridge, taking note of the piles of pencils that people leave on Louisa May Alcott and Henry David Thoreau's graves. You might just see a group of Japanese tourists in that cemetery. And they're looking at a different grave, a lesser known grave, the grave of the Reverend Dana McLean Greeley, who was the last president of the American Unitarian Association and the first president of our Unitarian Universalist Association, which is 60 years old as of yesterday. He was one of the principal architects of that merger between the Unitarians and the Universalists in 1961, but he spent his final years serving in Concord, Massachusetts. But why would those Japanese tourists visit his grave? It turns out that Greeley is an esteemed figure in Risho Kosakai. He isn't deified or revered or anything, but his life and legacy is well respected. Because in addition to bringing together the Unitarians and Universalists, he also forged that enduring relationship between our faith and Risho Kosakai. It's funny, sometimes people say he forged that relationship, but that brings about images of a blacksmith tempering metal, the efforts of metalwork and sweat and heat. But this enduring relationship we have in Japan was not that laborious. Now, don't get me wrong, Greeley put effort into this. He created a worldwide interfaith coalition, the World Conference on Religion and Peace, which exists to this day, which was a huge deal in the 1960s when the word interfaith was hardly used. And upon launching that coalition, Greeley traveled across Europe and Asia in search of other interfaith partners, which is how he found himself sitting in the ornate drawing room of the great sacred hall of Risho Kosakai in Tokyo in 1968. He was there to persuade the movement to join his interfaith coalition, but upon meeting the leader and founder of Risho Kosakai, Nikkyo Nawano, the two men immediately became friends. They went deep, talking about spiritualities and religious priorities, talking about values, topics you don't really delve into when you first meet someone. But they did. They found in talking they had much more in common than they expected. And they quickly discovered that their differences, American, Japanese, Unitarian, Universalist, Buddhist, all of that didn't disappear, but their friendship bridged the difference. 
Nawano would go on to speculate using his own Buddhist beliefs that him and Greeley were friends in lives past. Greeley had a more rationalist Boston Unitarian response that, uh, you know, he echoed the idea that they were destined to be friends, but not necessarily from lives past. Nawano would go on to visit Greeley when he served in Concord, Massachusetts, and Greeley would visit Tokyo several times. Uh, the live-in sexton in Concord at that time, the recently retired Doug Baker, decorated the herb garden with dozens of bonsai trees when Nawano visited that he had cultivated for years. Now, I've seen those bonsai trees, and I didn't necessarily know their legacy and importance at that time. I sat in that herb garden, taking in the aromas of rosemary and sage, while Concord, Massachusetts is important to our history. Knowing the story of our interfaith partnership, I now have a renewed perspective on that simple herb garden and those church grounds. It is holy ground. Much more holy than saying Emerson or Thoreau or the Alcotts lived there. No, it's holy because amidst the flourishing of that rosemary and thyme in that herb garden, a spiritual friendship unfolded in ways that continue to this day. Both Greeley and Nawano have since died. But every year, Unitarian Universalists still send students to study in Japan. My seminary in Chicago has several staff members who come from Japan to work there. Their leaders still visit Concord, Massachusetts today and pay their respects to Greeley's grave. And they visit the herb garden too. It is an unusual pairing in some ways. Risho Kosakai has 6 million members. We have under 200,000. They're incredibly wealthy and generous in that wealth. And we, while sitting on heaps of old Puritan money, seem to be saving it for an incredibly rainy day. When our denominational leaders visited to speak at their headquarters in Tokyo, they were met with thousands, over 5,000 attendees. When their leaders speak here, they're met with maybe 100. And yet, none of that really matters. It's not about who has more power or influence. It's not about whose religion is bigger or better. It's about intentional relationship, covenant and seeking understanding. This might be a tired phrase these days, but it's really about loving your neighbor. I say tired because it feels like so few people are interested in living out that basic principle. But I look to the spiritual friendship that we have had as a religious movement for nearly six decades, and I have hope that loving your neighbor is possible. Sure, there are shared values between UUs and the RKK movement in Japan. We have a large share of people that are inspired by Buddhism and Unitarian Universalism, and we celebrate that. But this spiritual friendship, this unsurpassed way of loving our neighbors who are different than us also has its challenges. If you were to visit a Risho Kosakai congregation today, it would most likely be in Japanese, and I know maybe three of you speak Japanese. You wouldn't know the chants. They might not even know about Unitarian Universalists. Many of you are hearing about this for the first time today. Loving our neighbors is intentional work, even if we share values. And imagine how much more difficult it is to love our neighbors with whom we vehemently disagree, or perhaps those who would oppress people in our midst. That's putting it very nicely. It's about, as we heard in the Shinto creation myth, stirring the water and pouring out the salt, waiting to see where it lands, what shape it takes. 
and what new relationships we will discover. It's about trusting what we don't know, what we can never know. It's about taking a risk, and it's also about realizing that loving our neighbor is a practice that could take our entire lives. When Dana Greeley met with Nikio Nawano, he came ready to sell an interfaith cooperation to him. That was his way. He was building an organization and a legacy. But in their meeting, a meeting that brought our two religions close, what he discovered and what Nikio discovered was that they had everything they needed in the simple act of connecting with another human being. That right there is the heart of spiritual practice letting go of lists and benchmarks and striving for perfection and instead meeting the moment with what we have ourselves. It is not hard to love your neighbor. What's hard is trying to love someone into the neighbor that you want them to be. What's hard is imagining love is all about roses when it is tears and illness and tragedy and anger along with everything else. What's hard is when we forget that love doesn't mean glossing over evil in the world. It means holding people accountable too. The story of Dana Greeley and Nikio Nawano, this story of Unitarian Universalists and Risha Kosakai, this story of salt dripping to create a new world are not distant stories out of reach their lessons, their wisdom are available to us. Like Haku and Ikaku admonished us, people miss what's right in front of them and go searching far from home. Like someone standing in water and crying out for thirst. Sometimes the most rewarding spiritual journey is to just stop and look around at what's before you. And so there it is, a whirlwind trip to Japan and back. I encourage you to learn more about Rushiko Sakai, our closest interfaith partner. It's a history we don't tell enough. But more than that, I wonder if you can bring this story to life in your own living. What's something where you what's something where you've been mapping out every little detail in the hopes of convincing or succeeding or achieving per perfection? We all have something like that in our life. What would happen if you just brought yourself to the moment? just as Greeley and Nawano brought themselves to their meeting. I can't promise there'll be pain or rejection, or there won't be pain or rejection or things going wrong, but I can hope you'll discover a way to meet the world with curiosity instead of benchmarks, to perhaps connect on a deeper level with someone you didn't expect, but most importantly, to reconnect with yourself, to dare to believe that you are enough. Rishikosakai would call that Buddha nature. Unitarian Universalists would call it inherent worth and dignity. For us today, it's the unsurpassed way of loving our neighbors and delving deep into that spiritual practice. It's incredibly simple, but it will take a lifetime to master. Blessed be. Amen.